Welcome to Encounter Grace, where we come face to face with God's work in the world for our good. Join host Jason McKnight as we explore practical issues of community, theology, and leadership in everyday life. Welcome. We're glad you're with us. I'm Jason McKnight, and I'm here with Ben Hendricks, Kinston's favorite Nashville transplant. Just because I'm the only one. You are the only one. <laughs> you're the favorite, I guarantee you. No, I don't know. We're going to talk today about sunglasses or readers or progressives, blue light glasses, which I just read. They don't think work anymore. But anyway, wow. and here's why. And, and it's your phrase that you, um, you pithily invented last week when we were prepping this. Here's the phrase. To live well, you got to see clearly. And um, that's what we're going to talk about today. I remember in grade school, we had a kid in our class with Coke bottle glasses. I don't know if you're allowed to say that anymore, but I'm doing it. Well, just say confidently, you'll get away with it. (laughs) Coke bottle glasses. They were so thick that like, you know, we'd borrow them to put them on to see the world through his eyes. And meanwhile, he's a sitting duck because he can't see the schoolyard bully coming at him. Ah, poor guy. And here we are, and we can hardly see a thing because like all the houses are convex and concave and all that kind of stuff. And you're looking out. It was, it's just crazy. But those glasses let him see the world. Yeah. And I... As we were talking kind of earlier, I mean, I know the exact same. Playing dodgeball, hit a kid right in the face. I was dealing with these big old glasses. He had to go straight home. Couldn't see a thing. He was worthless for the rest of the time. Poor guy. I mean, I mean. I'm repenting now. You're repenting now. <laughs> and in public, it's, it's just yeah. a wonderful thing. But the deal is, you know, everybody in life, apart from when you're over 40 and you need readers, but all of us in all of life actually live with a pair of glasses, i.e. the way we see the world. And it's mm. called a worldview, or if you like... The German, the original German, you can call it a Weltanschauung. Wow. You I always have some fun word. Well, that's just our education in Canada. Oh, okay. You we learned about Weltanschauung. Yeah. So <laughs> what is I, a Weltanschauung? <laughs> well, it, it is a worldview. It, and I actually think one of the most helpful ways is to kind of restate in a different way that a worldview is the way we see the world. So it is the glasses uh-huh. that we put on. It's uh, practically the truths that we believe, the ones that we hold hmm. on to, the way that we understand things, the... Uh, from our perspective, the theologies that we hold. So what are yeah. the things that we believe and we ultimately believe about God? Uh, it also ends up making having outworkings all the way through our hopes and even our desires. And so what's so influential and so important about a worldview is that it is influenced by our perspective. So where we're sitting, where mm-hmm. we're standing, where we're living, where we're at. Yeah, Why, our experiences to get Absolutely, us that, that all of these things are, influ- are influence our perspective and can change, again, where we're sitting and how we see just everything that we're seeing. So what we're talking about ultimately today is a biblical perspective, a biblical worldview. And so the question then is, why is a biblical perspective or a biblical worldview so important? And I think it's fundamentally because it is a glimpse into the reality that God has made. That yeah. the foundational point of a biblical worldview is we believe that is the best worldview, the best way to see everything and to make sense of it all. That there's so many different ways to see things, so many answers to so many problems that may or may not actually be there, mm-hmm. answers that may or may not work. And that all of these worldviews are trying to answer these questions. And we believe that a worldview, a biblical worldview is one that answers them the best. Because the truth is reality does in fact matter because we base our lives on what we believe and what we hold to be true. I mean, to live well, you got to see clearly. Yep, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, that's just exactly it. And the fact of the matter is, uh, the first task of any worldview is to align with reality. Yep. And and this is we know this in like the counseling office when someone comes in with mental problems, but they're not in touch with reality. We say, oh, we've got to meet them where they are and bring them into reality. Well, it's the same thing with 
somebody's worldview, their experiences, yeah. their perspectives, their assumptions, their truths, their beliefs about how the world really works. Mm. So thankfully, we, uh, and what we could do today is line up all the worldviews or, you know, 10 of them anyway, and say, all right, how do they compare on any given thing? But let's just do this. Let's just talk about what scripture lays out as the worldview, as, as really the best lenses for how to see the world. Yeah. And what we've come up with are five of the most elemental uh, parts of a worldview or five elements. And we'll just go back and forth and talk about them and kind of yeah. give us here on this uh, on this episode a way to make sense of the world that we're living in. Okay. So Ben, hit us with number one. Well, I think the uh, kind of element number one is the most foundational one and the one that all of the rest are built on. That's why I'm the one doing this one, of course. Uh, and so element number one of a biblical world. Did you see that in my eyes? Is, absolutely. Uh, is a creator creates with order, beauty, and laws. So there's at least four parts to this. And I'll run through them quickly, but this one may take a little bit longer because I do think it really is the foundational place. Yeah. And it all begins in Genesis 1, and we learn that God is a creator. Mm -hmm. We don't have to say much about this because it's so clear yeah. that right here in Genesis 1 and 2, God is creating, and he's building a world for his people. God is a creator. But then the next three, we'll spend a little bit more time on it. And the first one is this, that God creates with order. Genesis 1 is so clear. God creates with, or creates the heavens and the earth. Mm -hmm. God creates light. He separates light from darkness. Yeah. They separates water, land amongst the oceans, the sun, moon, stars, water and skies with animals. He fills the earth with animals, and then ultimately he makes man. Mm -hmm. God is creating, and he's doing it with order. That's, that's the most, and I think that's the most prevalent thing right here that we see is God is is making specific things on specific days for specific reasons. That's good. Like there's an order to the things that he makes, period. Next is that God creates with goodness. And beauty. So I often interchange those. Uh, yeah, as you were coming up with it, you often use beauty. I think we can often get kind of stuck on beauty is just meaning pre pretty, huh. but uh, so, but I think they're they're fairly interchangeable. Uh, and so that's all the way from the flowers to trees to the beautiful plants to the animals to the stars. Everything. Uh, I think when we look at the creative order that God has made, we can, some of it. If we think from just utilitarian terms, we can wonder like, why would you make this? What benefit does this have? But there are, some of that is just ignorance, and we miss the actual goodness of mm -hmm. what you know the bee is really doing to help support everything else. But we can also look to all the stars that are so many light years away that we'll probably never reach and never get to see this side of glory and go, why would you make this? Yeah. Because an everlasting, eternal God made things in goodness and beauty. Uh, that what, like what, what, the Garden of Eden was like the pinnacle of, of the of beauty, I think, true. and of the blessed condition that uh, that God made for mankind. I mean, all the way to the point where, you know, you can't prove me wrong on this, but I think there were bacon trees, like of the goodness and beauty of God. Right beside the tree of Yeah, life. right? Uh-huh. Uh, you know, definitely didn't have death in it, but absolutely, you know, take that fruit, oh, eat it, mm, bacon, steak, come on, you can't, mm. look, I can't prove that I'm right, but you can't prove that I'm wrong. Uh, because one of the great takes, takeaways from this, and, and the overall one for the, of, of God's creative, creative order of being good and beautiful, is that God isn't just making things. He makes things well. Hmm. Like he's not just making them yeah. to get them out there. Beauty matters to him. Goodness matters to him. But here's the third one. God creates with laws. So mm -hmm. order, goodness, and then lastly, laws. I think it's interesting that in Genesis, 
uh, one and two, we get this picture of God uh, creating, and then he starts organizing, mm-hmm. and he starts mm-hmm. giving rules. Mm-hmm. And these aren't these huge, massive, like really hard, difficult rules in which Adam and Eve must follow, but it's two commands specifically, to be fruitful and to multiply. And then there's a negative kind of side one of limiting. It says, don't eat of the tree of good and evil, or you will surely die. And so I think what this shows is that God's design and heart for us is to be fruitful and multiply. Mm-hmm. That from the very beginning, these laws that God has given us were not to hold things back from us, hold back that goodness mm-hmm. or beauty, but to keep us in the lane of enjoying the goodness and beauty within the order that he's made and the laws that he's given us. So like just very practically, the key to fruitfulness in life, true lasting fruitfulness of being fruitful and multiplying is that walk with the Lord, is had that relationship with him. That's why, and we'll, we'll touch this in a little bit later and as we get to the point, yeah. but why this goes so south so fast. Right. So I think that's element number one, that a creator creates with order, goodness, and laws. That's very good. What's number well, two? Number two is all humans have inherent dignity. Now, by the way, we're skipping over what went wrong. we got to do yeah, a little yeah. more spade work before we get to the bad stuff. Um, so all humans have inherent dignity. And I think this element number two is actually embraced by more people than most of our others. Like not mm. everyone, I mean, really clearly, not everyone would agree there's a creator who creates with beauty, goodness, order, and laws, and yeah. all those things that I put in the wrong order, <laughs> which is so bad of me. But anyway, but this element, this idea that all humans have inherent dignity, um, I think has widespread acceptance on a whole lot of levels. Mm. I think that's also an example of the influence of the gospel in our culture. Mm. Um, atheist Tom Holland wrote that book, Dominion, uh, uh, making just this point that there's so much of our culture that is rooted in the gospel that we don't even get it. Yeah. He, he's not even a Christian, but it's fascinating. Um, you don't have to be a Christian to want to help the poor in Haiti after the earthquake. Yeah. I mean, we just pour out. You, you know, we just, we just, you don't have to be a Christian to cheer the Paralympics going on in Tokyo uh, after the Olympics. You know, every four years you have the Olympics and then a month later you have the Paralympics. Amazing feats of physical determination by those that in other cultures would have been chopped up or just set aside. Anyone who sees a child being abused feels righteous anger. Hmm. Why? Because we all get that humans have inherent dignity. Christians know that God put the dignity there, and, um, and that's really fun. So we're in Genesis 1, so Genesis 1, 26, 27, 28, where God says, let us make man or man and woman, humanity, in our image. Yeah. And so we, every person, Adam and Eve and all the ones after them, are created to represent God and to reflect God. Yeah. I like as you were teaching this with the youth, youth uh, you used it like, like the image of God is like a logo. Yeah. On a brand. I thought that was really good because what, what is the logo? You see the swoosh and you know, oh, Nike's behind that. Hmm. And, and so, so I'm the swoosh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or like a spokesman, a spokesperson for a brand, you know, who explains it and represents it and, make, uh, rep- represents it and makes it look good. Uh, yeah. That's what it means. The Hebrew word there for image is uh, tselem, T-S-E-L-E-M. And that is the word used all in the Old Testament for an idol. Hmm. Now let that sink in. What's an idol? A mini representation of that false god. We're mini representations of God. We're the tselem of God. Yeah. We're the image of God. So we have inherent dignity. 
because of that. We're uh, God made it so that not the trees, not the stars, not the animals, not even the honeybees. Yeah, even though they're made in his goodness, are made in goodness, <laughs> yeah, right? They're not in his image. And um, so we point beyond ourselves. Uh, you know, Genesis 1, well, you can think of Psalm 139, where God knits each of us together in the womb. He forms us in the secret place. We're not accidents. Yeah. We're in his image. We're by his design. And that's why we have dignity. Mm-hmm. Okay, so dignity means we've got a responsibility to each other to what? Uphold the dignity and value of each other. Yeah. And that's every human. That's not just people, you know, who come from my town. Yeah. It's every human. Okay. So that's why we step into help in Haiti. That's why we cheer on the Paralympics. That's why we want to rescue the abused children. We as Christians would also say the unborn have this same dignity and value and worth. Yeah. And those behind bars are not without dignity, even though our system dehumanizes so much of it. Mm-hmm. And those on government assistance, they have inherent dignity and value and worth, although much of that system robs of it. And those at the end of their lives are terminally ill. They have worth, and it's not up to you, me, or doctor yeah. to say when that should be over. Now, not everyone agrees with these last four, the unborn or the prisoners or the welfare or the terminally ill. Some on the left would say abortion, euthanasia, you know, it's fine. And some on the right would say, well, convicts and welfare folks, maybe are they deserving? And I'm saying, well, as Christians, we're with both. We're with everything. Yeah, and it's such a, a hard dynamic, like distinction to make, I guess, between kind of some of these levels are where so many people are willing to admit, like, okay, humans have inherent dignity, but it's also at the expense sometimes of the utility of, like, when when does that dignity start to end? Like, we're talking about euthanasia, or, mm-hmm. or when yeah, does it even yeah. begin when we're talking about abortion? abortion. Or, like, it's interesting. or does someone we, forfeit because yeah. they're a con? Uh, you know, they, yeah. Yeah, it's, such a, such, it's so interesting to think of it that way. It is interesting, and that's why a biblical worldview is so important, mm-hmm. because all the way things play out are, are going to be a little complicated, but if we don't start with humans have dignity, it's inherent, then yeah. we, can, we can end up, you know, with Hitler. And I and I actually didn't say this in my part, but I think this is a perfect example of you it. You can't go back now. Well, I, I no taxis, <laughs> no, taxis. Uh, where I was just thinking, like, because God has made things with order and laws and goodness, you know, we can't start forming worldviews in our own image, and it's easy to do that right here because it. Well, it's one thing to say that all humans have inherent dignity, and it's right because God says we do because we're made in the image of God. But when it starts costing us something, when it starts right. pushing back against us, it's easy to go. Well, they don't have that much inherent dignity, or it stops here, or it doesn't begin till here because it's costing us something, and we can start forming that in our own image even. And what I love is over the last 40, 50 years um, with the abortion question is that one of the pushbacks that uh, the world, because they takes them a while to catch up, but that the world says against Christians is, you only care about life until birth. Yeah, And I say that's absolutely not true. If you took the Christian families out of the adoption system, the thing would collapse. Mm. People are putting their money where their mouth is. They believe there's dignity in every person. And I love it. It's just a joy. Okay, third element. So uh, the first element is a, is a creator creates with order, goodness, and laws. Yep. Second element is that all humans have inherent dignity. The third element in the right glasses to see the world is this. Four little words. History has a goal. History has a goal. Yeah. Many worldviews throughout history in different historical eras and today in different corners of our culture and around the world thinks that history is either meaningless or circular. Mm. Possibly meaninglessly circular. (laughs) 
<laughs> but a biblical worldview says we're on a journey somewhere, a meta-narrative. There's a bigger thing going on. History is not an endless cycle of revolutions, and if I do well, I'll come back as a better person. If I don't do well, I'm coming back as a cockroach. Like, yeah. that's not what history is. History is not just a vapid existence that we have to just get through because there's nothing to it and we're just a random collection of whatevers. It has a start, it has an arc, it has a climax, and it has meaning. That's what the Bible tells us, that yeah. history has meaning. History has a goal. This story has a storyteller, and he's unfolding his story. History. <laughs> you know, he's unfolding it along his plans and purposes. This God who created us. That same yeah. Psalm 139 also says this in verse 16, all the days ordained for me are written in your book before one of them came to be. That's the confidence of someone who knows the biblical worldview, that history mm. has a goal. My days, you are, full, you are unfolding them. You've already written them in your book before any of them came to be. Isaiah 46, verse 10, God declares the end from the beginning. Well, that means he's taking us somewhere. Habakkuk, I read this this morning oh. in my quiet times. He says in 1 verse 5, I'm going to do something in your day you wouldn't believe even if I told you. Which yeah. for Habakkuk was bringing the Babylonians to judge the Jews. Okay, so that was crazy. But the point is God is doing something in history. But then in 2.14, Habakkuk, God says uh, that this is what's going to come, is that the whole earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. There's coming a day when that happens. And so there again, we see history as a goal. I mean, should I go on? Like, then we get to the cross. It is finished. What? Yeah. The purpose, yeah. <laughs> the point, the climax, everything. We get to Philippians 2. At one day, at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess. That's something that's coming. We're working towards it. History has a goal. It's Christ is King. And I find this one so interesting because I think at face value, it feels like this one's not as important. <laughs> and I, I, I would think a lot of people feel like, oh, well, I, I don't actually think this, but we, I think we, and maybe I'm wrong, you'll have to correct me, but I think we see this kind of through our day to day when we start talking about how history is always repeating itself. Right. Well, I actually don't think it does. I just think there's nothing new under the sun and that we're quick to find our way back into our own ways and our own sins. And right. <laughs> See, I, the devil has a limited playbook. Yeah, it's if, true. If he knows he can trip me up on sin, temptation X, he's going to use it yeah. eight days a week on me. You're right. You know, so in, in that sense, I feel like I'm on Groundhog Day with Bill yep. Murray. Amen. But history does have a goal. And the point in our moment right now, as we think, oh, okay, so how does this affect, you know, these glasses affect how I live? The point is that our experiences are not random. And our experiences are not meaningless. Even the terrible ones, mm. even the ones we'd trade in a heartbeat, they're not random, they're not meaningless. God is unfolding something. Our choices are not random, and we're not fatalistically doomed to this, that, or the next thing. Everything about our lives and current events is part of God's outworking of his gracious purposes in the world. And I think there's such a great hope there. I mean, kind of in the word, like the form of Esther of being possibly being born for such a time as this. Maybe that's yeah. not being to the level that Esther was, but maybe that just means for how we can move the dial just a little bit with our own families or, mm -hmm. or whatever aspect that is. And yeah. don't discount that God may want more of us to be Esther. Hmm. Like, like, wow, she's got a whole Bible book written after her and all that kind of stuff. But like Susan just finished reading um, the story of Elizabeth Elliot, you know, whose husband yeah. Jim was stabbed on, you know, in 1956 by the Aka Indians. And 
she didn't start out being Elizabeth Elliot. The name of the book is Becoming Elizabeth Elliot. Yeah. Like she just was a girl wanting to serve the Lord. Yeah. And, and that's us. Like we just don't know. But thankfully, history has a goal. Amen. That's element of the biblical worldview. All right, do number four. Yeah, so element number four is one that I think we all need to hear today, especially just in our context with so <laughs> much going on and so much uh, probably pushback on this. And so element number four is this, that there is right and wrong. Yeah, and so we actually, to get this, we have to kind of talk about Genesis 1 again and then move into the actual problem in Genesis 3. So in Genesis 1, what we talked about earlier was that God creates with order, goodness, and laws, which means that God, one, is the author of everything, and two, that God has made things the way he actually wants them mm. because there was intention there. The author wrote as he wanted with order, with goodness, and laws. As I said, it's six days of creation. God has made specific things at specific times for specific reasons. Hmm. Here's the major takeaway for Genesis 1 and 2 for, the cre- yeah. for creation is there is a right way for things to be, to follow mm-hmm. God, to commune with him, to know him, to follow his rules and live life into its order, its goodness, and its laws. We need to know that. Everyone who's listening or watching, we all need the reassurance that there is a right way to live, and there is, there's a right way for things to be, and that's the way God has made them. But hmm. it also means this. If there's a right way, there's also a wrong way. That's a good point. There's a wrong way for things to be. And we see exactly this in Genesis 3. Adam and Eve rebel against God's command, and ultimately that leads to the fracturing of, the God, of God's creative order. We call this, the big theological term, the fall, which is caused— It's not that big of a term. I, yeah, but it gets, it gets messy, <laughs> it, you know. It gets and, and so that's, that's from sin. It's the first four-letter word. Yeah, right? <laughs> and so that comes from sin, right? And that yeah. sin quite literally means missing the mark, that we have missed the mark for how God has intended us to live. And so one of the things, I mean, very clearly we see from Genesis 1, there is the right way to live, but we very clearly see from Genesis 3 and pretty much the rest of Scripture as it figures mm-hmm. that out, there's a wrong way to do this as well. Mm-hmm. And so I think God's inviting us to see this very true thing. Like we need to apply this to our lives, that there is in fact the right way to walk. Mm. There's a right way to live. There's a wrong way to make decisions. There's a right way to do that. And so in every decision that we have to make, there is more often than not a right and wrong to it, especially when it comes to moral things, especially when it comes to biblical things. It's so easy, I think, right now uh, as we're in a culture where truth, kind of postmodern, where truth becomes relative, and then we've Mm -hmm. gotten to the point where there is no such thing as truth. Or I got my truth. Yeah, and you've got your own personal one. That's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. God is the author of truth. He is the author of reality. He's the one who says if this is the right way or the wrong way. We aren't that. No matter how much we want to be or and how hard we try, he's the one who's made it that way. And we can't lose sight of that. Mm. Because the second we do, we're going to naturally start turning the wrong ways into our right ways. And we need to be yeah, unbelievably true. careful of not doing that. Yeah. So the fourth element, there is right and wrong. We can't forget that. No, that's really good. And in Genesis 3, when when we see the wrong happening, when they go the wrong way and they choose the wrong path, if you read the story, it's about pride and disbelief. Mm. I want what I can't have, and I'm not trusting God. Yeah. Like, did God really say? So pride and disbelief, like those are our two biggest problems. Yeah. And when things go wrong. But actually, the opposite of those are our two biggest helps. So the fifth one, mm. the last one, uh, is this. There's redemption for sin. In other words, grace operates in the world. This actually is an element of a biblical worldview. 
since there's right and wrong, what happened when we took that wrong turn back in Eden? <laughs> what happens today when we take each wrong turn that we might take? Well, is it doom and death and justice uh, and, and disaster and destruction and annihilation? Or is there a second chance? Is there a thing called grace? Hmm. Oh, there's consequences. But there's a thing called grace operative in the world today. And we talked about this just a few weeks ago on the podcast about what is grace. And we, yeah. we kind of talked about it as good and goodwill toward the undeserving. And that's kind of a thumbnail definition of grace. But what does God do when he sees them in their sin? He forgives the sin. He heals the wound. He relieves the shame. He straightens the iniquity and he cleanses the filth. There is redemption for sin. There is grace at work in our world. And we need to know this because with God, there's no such thing as cancel culture. Mm. And that's where we live today, where you're constantly being set aside for past wrongs. You're constantly being thrust out for past wrongs. And there's no way to assuage that. No. <laughs> there's just no way. Uh, and we don't have to list all the examples because we don't want to make it sound like we're saying, oh, you're okay to do that. Yeah. It's fascinating. This uh, August, uh, the Montreal Canadiens drafted in the first round. Now, they went all the way to the finals, and so they were very low in the first round, you know, <laughs> second to last. And um, they drafted this kid that should have gone maybe in the top 10, but no one touched him because um, 17 year old kid and uh, stuff about, like, he posted some bad stuff on his Instagram. Uh, with a girl, like like bad, yeah. you know, and she was underage, so that's really bad. And um, it was really interesting because the the um, general manager of the Canadians, he said, "Well, he needs a chance, and we're going to work with him." And by the way, they're going to get a high round draft pick for low. so that you know, yeah. it's not that it was like disinterested; uh, it was there was self interest there. But do we need to to cast him aside? And the place went nuts. I mean, they were pilloried. They were saying, you can't take someone like this. You've got to get them out, um, like the feminists and, and all that in Quebec. It was fascinating wow. to watch people from a non-Christian background saying, no, a second chance is deserved. No, cancel is deserved, and that's all. And there's no other way out. Mm. Well, grace is operative in the world, and, um, and it's not cancel culture. That's, you know, Christ cancels our sin. Yeah. He doesn't cancel us. Um, there is redemption. Um, and actually, redemption better accounts for the fact that there really is wrong. Because if we're just saying, no, you have to live up to this standard, and everyone ought to live up to this standard, and if you don't live up to this standard, we're going to turf you aside. Well, like, the standard has to change because no one can live up to what the yeah. original standard is, and it keeps moving down. Or the goalposts keep moving, and so what was okay 20 years ago is not okay now, and now you're canceled for what was okay 20 years ago. Well, this is just a recipe for psychosis. But when there's a standard that's unchanging, but there's a way out of our failure, that's a, that's a way for healing. Yeah. And that's what forgiveness is. Because you and I are going to do things wrong. And all of us watching, listening, we're going to do things wrong. And the only way out of that is forgiveness. Yeah. Like, if you or I say something to our wives so hurtful because we're angry or we're hungry <laughs> or whatever, you know, we can't buy them enough diamonds. Mm. We can go broke trying, but we can't. The only way out is if they forgive us. That's the only way to restore the tenderness, the fellowship, the relationship. Yep. 
We, forgiveness. We, and we were talking about that earlier this summer, of just uh, how repentance and reconciliation always brings healing. It may not right away, it may not in that moment, but it eventually does. That yeah. it is, it, it's the avenue and the gateway and all of those great things into actual reconciliation and healing. Well, here's the deal. forgiveness. Not yeah. only for the perpetrator, but forgiveness is the only way out for the victim. Yeah. Because otherwise you're stuck in that prison of the wrong that was done to you yep. unless you can extend forgiveness. So when we say grace is operative in the world uh, and there is redemption for sin, it's not only the redemption of the one who does the wrong, but the one who is wronged. Absolutely. The only way out is forgiveness. Yeah. So there, there, there's the fifth element of the worldview. But mm. when that, when you start looking for that and helping that happen in the world, you more live in line with reality. And think, I mean, and just praise the Lord for the things like common grace that are just in the world, like those bacon trees mm-hmm. that want. Bacon trees. <laughs> I think they're ribeye trees too. I sure hope so. <laughs> uh, but well, yeah, that's the five elements. Man, they're so good. Thank. I'm just. Yeah, when did fun. you you came up with these? Uh, I think we did. I, okay, I well, I, I think at least we, the good ones. It was probably a really good staff meeting. Oh, okay, that's probably true too. <laughs> but Jason, thanks so much just for starting this conversation and having it. I, I, yep. I, this was these five elements were, in my opinion, one of the, one of the more helpful things uh, that I've gotten to, to dwell on and spend time on in the last couple of like year or two of just getting to remind myself of what does it mean to be a, like to have a biblical worldview because mm-hmm. we want that and we want our students and our kids yep. to have that yep. and so if i can't articulate those easily and quickly how am i expecting them to right. and so it, it was a joy getting to teach through this in the last year and just thank you so much for just being here with me and getting to converse this with everybody else who's listening yeah and yeah and i, and I think just it bears repeating right at the end the the creator creates and don't give that one up and that there's order and there's goodness and there's laws and that every human has dignity mm. and that history has a goal that's right and wrong and grace is operative. I mean, to live well, you got to see clearly and this coheres with reality. Amen. All right, let's go to it. All right. Thanks for joining us, everyone. This is a ministry of Grace Fellowship Church in Kinston, North Carolina. Visit gracekinston.org or follow us on Facebook and Instagram.